there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Hello, Detective. Alan? The time between your visits is getting shorter. Why is that? Not enough work at the department? Are things getting quiet? Not particularly. Some things quiet down over time. Most men on the force ignore them. But some of us... Some of us keep thinking about old cases. Not the two girls at the beach again. That was ten years ago, Detective. I know. But you can't let it go. No. I didn't kill those girls. But for some reason, you think I did. You killed Miss Orphan less than two years later. So... In Wollongong. I know all this. Same town Wilhelmina was killed in not too long after the Wanda Beach murders. And you believe they are connected. I get it, but that has nothing to do with me. Fine. I'll drop it. For now. Good. Because I have something for you. I painted it. In art therapy. Wow, that's quite good. Why give it to me? Well, you're my most frequent visitor, if you can believe it. And maybe you're a friend. I don't know. When I painted it, I knew I had to give it to you. In fact, I meant it for you from the start. It's the coast, isn't it? It's whatever you see. Are these sand dunes? Oh, our time is up, detective. The guard's coming over. Wait! Alan! This is Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm your host, Carter Roy. And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. This is our final episode on the Wanda Beach Murders. If you like the show, we'd immensely appreciate if you could leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast directory. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. One day in 1975, Detective Seth Johnson, who had become obsessed with the Wanda Beach murders, visited a man he believed to be a prime suspect in the case. Alan Raymond Bassett, who was serving time at Morissette Hospital in the Maximum Security Division for the Criminally Insane. Bassett was convicted of raping and murdering 20-year-old Carolyn May Orphan in Wollongong, Australia. This was just 18 months after Christine Sherrock and Marianne Schmidt were murdered in the sand dunes of Wanda Beach in January of 1965. On one of Johnson's visits, Bassett gave him a painting that he had completed. It depicted a beach scene, or at least that's what Johnson saw. 
Johnson would come to believe that the painting wasn't just a painting, but much more than that. As he spiraled down deeper into the cold case, Johnson would become convinced that the painting was in fact a riddle revolving around the Wanda Beach murders and that Alan Bassett had the answer. On January 11, 1965, two teenage girls wandered into the sand dunes of Wanda Beach near Sydney, Australia. They never returned. It is believed that they went into the dunes with a mystery teen whom the media described as a surfy boy. Wolfgang Schmidt, the seven-year-old brother of victim Marianne, could provide the only eyewitness account. And there's debate about whether his story is actually accurate to the events that transpired. Wolfgang remembers seeing the surfy teen hunting crabs with a knife. Victims Christine and Marianne were both viciously stabbed several times with what looked to be a knife. Their mutilated bodies were discovered a day later by Peter Smith, a man who was just walking the dunes with his nephews. Later, the medical examiner found traces of semen on both of the victims, but no signs of rape. Which means that the killer most likely masturbated on his victims, possibly after their deaths. So there was a sexual component to the crime, but since the girls weren't raped, we can't assume that it was purely sexual in nature. However, the sexual aspect of the crime does help when looking at serious suspects. The ripple effect of the brutal murder stirred to life a ravenous manhunt that would affect thousands of potential culprits. The first wave of suspects proved fruitless, unfortunately. Anyone doing anything seemingly out of the ordinary was reported. This was probably because there was a reward involved, so supposed witnesses called pointing fingers at essentially anyone who was acting minorly suspicious. Nudists, a man asking women to have sex with him, a man on the beach shielding his face with a sheet of corrugated metal. Yes, the infamous man in the iron mask. Over the course of the tiresome investigation of the Wanda Beach murders, around 14,000 people were interviewed in total. And 5,000 people became persons of interest. That's right, 5,000. This is a massive number for a murder investigation. Yes, but only a few became prime suspects. Three different men, all from around the Sydney area. One of those men was Christopher Wilder. Good afternoon, ladies. Hello. Hi. You go to the university? No. What? We're still in high school. Is that so? You look much older. And you're not even wearing makeup either. (laughs) Who wears makeup to the beach? Wilder was known to lure young women by promising to take their picture. Most of his victims ended up tortured, often by electrocution, then strangled, stabbed, or shot. Christopher Wilder would actually become a pretty prolific serial killer. But what led up to that? Where does the story of suspect number one begin? Christopher Wilder was born in Sydney, Australia on March 13, 1945, which would make him 19 years old at the time of the murders. Right from birth, he had some trouble with life in general. He was sick as a newborn and he nearly died. When he was two years old, he almost drowned in a pool. At three, he began suffering from convulsions. Physically, he wasn't so healthy, and eventually, he would struggle psychologically. As a preteen, he became an active peeping Tom. But it was when he was 17 
that he crossed the threshold into serious crime. That's right. Along with some of his friends, Wilder gang-raped a girl on the beach in his hometown of Sydney. He was arrested and sentenced to one-year probation. But he was also forced to undergo electroshock therapy. This was common at the time, and it was supposed to reduce his sexual urges. This may have had the opposite effect on him. Instead of curing him of his urges, it may have contributed to them. Electrocution became an integral part of his modus operandi, or how he killed his victims. Wilder didn't always kill his victims, though. Sometimes he'd tie them up and force them to strip down or perform sexual acts on him. Then he'd masturbate on them before releasing them. He'd pose as a photographer using the alias David Pierce. That's beautiful. Just beautiful. Please let me go. We're not done yet. No, Wilder was just getting started. It was in 1984 that he began a killing spree. Before that, it's believed that he only tortured and raped his victims. On March 4, 1984, a 23-year-old woman by the name of Elizabeth Kenyon disappeared in Miami, Florida, where Wilder was actually living at the time. Right before her disappearance, she had spent time with her parents in Miami. During their visit, her father became disturbed when he saw bruises on her arms and legs. Lizzie, what happened? There was a fight at school between two of the boys. I helped break it up. Those bruises look bad. How long did it take you to break it up? I don't remember. I don't like you working at that school. Those kids are troubled. I know. They need help. That's why I do it. Kenyon worked as a teacher at Coral Gables High School in Florida for children who suffered from emotional and psychological issues. And although it was more dangerous than a typical day job, the troubled kids may not have been responsible for the bruises. Once Kenyon was reported missing, the investigators sought out her three ex-boyfriends, one of whom was Christopher Wilder. By this point, Wilder was 38 years old. When was the last time you saw Miss Kenyon? About a month ago. Her car was found at the airport. Do you know if she was planning on going on some kind of trip? I don't know. Like I said, I haven't seen or spoken with her in about a month. The investigator who interviewed Wilder later touched base with Wilder's secretary, who provided some conflicting information. Wilder may have actually been communicating with Kenyon for some time. Flash forward to March 13th, eight days after Kenyon first went missing, It was actually Wilder's 39th birthday. He happened to see a newspaper article which detailed him as a suspect in the disappearance of Elizabeth Kenyon. So what did Wilder do? He got out of Miami. And then killed 21-year-old Terry Ferguson, whom he picked up in a mall in Satellite Beach, Florida. He dumped her body in a canal before continuing on. Even while on the run, Wilder managed to target several other women. One was Linda Grover, 19, at the time. Wilder kept her captive in a Georgia motel room where he raped and tortured her. But at one point, Grover managed to escape his clutches by running into the bathroom where she locked herself inside and began screaming at the top of her lungs. Fearful that this would cause people to discover his crimes, Wilder fled in a panic. Not long after that, he killed three other women, one in Texas, one in Oklahoma, and one in Utah. On April Fool's Day, 1984, a teenage girl named Michelle Korfman went missing. 
The bodies and disappearances were adding up. And so Wilder made the FBI's 10 most wanted list in a very short amount of time. Right. It only took him one month. In the media, he became known as the Beauty Queen Killer. Since he targeted young, attractive women. It is believed that by April 1st, he had killed at least seven women. The new moniker may have even fueled him more, because he then abducted Tina Marie Rossicco, only 16 years old, and used her to lure other female victims. But it seems Wilder may have felt authorities begin to close in on him, because he eventually let Rossicco go. He just dropped her off at Logan Airport in Boston. She got on a plane and ended up in Los Angeles, where she went to police. Can I help you? I need to speak to an officer. You're at the right place. You can speak with me. Is everything all right? No. He killed her and he made me watch. Okay, come with me. Let's go somewhere quiet where we can talk. Rosicco told the cops as much as she could. This included a description of Wilder's car. On April 13, 1984, two state troopers recognized the car as Wilder was attempting to cross the border into Canada. They pulled him over, and Wilder panicked. He reached for his revolver as the troopers approached. During the scuffle, the gun went off. Twice. The first bullet hit Wilder but traveled through his body and ended up in the liver of Trooper Leo Jellison. The other entered into Wilder's heart. He died immediately. Because of the way that it happened, authorities deemed it a suicide. Wilder died having killed at least eight women, but possibly more. So we know a lot about Wilder's actions and whereabouts in the 1980s. But what about around the time of Christine and Marianne's deaths in 1965? Well, Wilder was 19 years old at the time of the Wanda Beach murders and living in the Sydney area. Which gives him close proximity to the crime scene. Could the killing of Marianne and Christine have actually been his first murder, an act which catapulted him from serial rapist to serial murderer? Like we said... Wilder went after gorgeous teenagers and 20-somethings who fell for his photographer act. Could he have pulled the same thing on Marianne and Christine? Did he promise them a photo shoot in the dunes? If Marianne's brother Wolfgang's testimony is true, maybe Wilder was the teenager hunting crabs. You girls are really pretty. Thank you. You're not from around here, are you? We're not too far. Up in Westride. Westride? Yeah. I've been there. I photographed a friend in the park once. You're a photographer? Well, I want to be. Say, what if I took both your pictures? I have a camera with my stuff up in the dunes. Like a photo shoot? Sure. It'd be great practice for me. What do you say? What about the kids, Marianne? Oh, they'll be fine. It won't take long. That's one hypothetical scenario. Unfortunately, there was no camera found in the evidence. Maybe he wasn't luring girls with the promise of a photo shoot yet. Maybe that was something that he picked up later. So, was Wilder the surfy boy described by Wolfgang and the media? Or was the mysterious killer on the windy beach that day someone else entirely? Another convicted killer who was only caught thanks to the heroics of an 11-year-old boy.
Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, back to our story. Though Christopher Wilder was a prime suspect in the Wanda Beach murders, the timing does not quite add up. Wilder did not start his killing spree until he was living in the United States in the mid-1980s, 20 years after the terrible events at Wanda Beach in 1965. However, because Wilder was living in Sydney at the time, it is possible he gave into his desire to commit murder at a much younger age. But there was another troubled young man who can be placed even closer to the murders. So close, in fact, that he was staying within one mile of Marianne Schmidt and Christine Sherrick's hometown at the time of their murder. At one point in the investigation, authorities took a hard look at this man, who was already incarcerated for the murder of a young girl. This man was Derek Percy. Not only was he serving time, but he was also considered a suspect in another unsolved case. That would be the famous Beaumont children disappearance, which we have also covered on Unsolved Murders. On January 26, 1966, just a little over a year after the Wanda Beach murders, the three Beaumont children, Jane, Arna, and Grant, went missing from Glen Elk Beach in South Australia. Witnesses recalled seeing a man talking and playing with the children. It is believed he kidnapped and killed them all. Their bodies were never found. In their investigation, Detectives discovered that Derek Percy was in the vicinity of the beach the day the children went missing. He was also in the vicinity of the Wanda Beach sand dunes the day Christine and Marianne were murdered. Percy served in the Navy and would arrive and depart from Australia's beaches quite often. Journalist Debbie Marshall, who wrote a book on Percy, once stated, Everywhere that he went on family holidays or in the Navy, it seemed, children had either disappeared or were found murdered. One of those children was 11-year-old Yvonne Tui. In July of 1969, four years after the Wanda Beach murders, Percy abducted Tui from the beach of Warneet, Victoria, in Australia. She had been playing in the sand with her friend Shane Spiller. The two had gone down there to chop some wood and make a fire. Percy approached and suddenly put a knife to Tui's throat. He ordered Spiller to come with him as well, but instead, the young boy pulled out a small hatchet he had brought to chop wood. He waved it wildly at Percy, using it in self-defense. And it seemed to work for Spiller. Percy ran off with Tui in his clutches, but left Spiller on the beach. But the story doesn't end there. Spiller eventually spoke to authorities and remembered a lot of helpful details. I just spoke with the kid. He says the suspect drove off in an orange station wagon. Year? Oh, come on, he's 11. Just asking. What else? You know, he drew this for us. What is it? A seal? Close. An insignia. For the Royal Australian Navy. The boy saw the sticker on the rear window. You don't say. He's smart for 11. Did he give you a description of the suspect? He said he thought he was in his 20s. Definitely older than a high schooler, but younger than his dad. He had a long, narrow face. I say we check out the nearby bases. Interview some long, narrow-faced naval officers. The closest base is HMAS Cerberus. Good. Let's start there. 
Detectives tracked down Percy at the base and found him in the laundry room. He was washing Tui's blood from his clothes. Put your hands where we can see them. Percy was arrested on the spot. And was brought in for a lineup. Shane Spiller had to identify him. But a two-way mirror wasn't used. Maybe this particular police station didn't have one. Which meant Spiller had to look Tui's killer in the eye when he pointed at him. Spiller later recalled how chilling the moment was, saying, quote, I had to walk up and point right at his nose, the look he gave me. Spiller acted bravely, and he was rewarded for it. The police station showered him with gifts. The local newspaper photographers took a picture of him standing heroically, holding his metal tomahawk. But the experience had a devastating effect on Spiller, which didn't seem to emerge until a few years later. That's when he started to express his fear of the dark and began drinking at age 14. That's when his downward spiral began, and it didn't end. In September of 2002, Spiller went missing. After the traumatic experience back in 1969, Spiller feared Percy would come after him. Is it possible he did? Well, most people believe Spiller committed suicide and that his body has never been found. And it would have been impossible for Percy to have gone after him himself. Here's why. We, the jury, find that no sane individual could have committed such an act. Percy was deemed criminally insane when he was on trial for the murder of Yvonne Tui. He was sent to prison and eventually remanded indefinitely to a mental institution. But the punishment was far less severe than it otherwise would have been, considering the insanity verdict. Though many feared his release, it never happened. Sometime during his imprisonment, authorities had Percy undergo a psychiatric evaluation. One of the psychiatrists wrote a report Part of it read, quote, Mr. Percy does not suffer from a mental illness and is not detainable under the Mental Health Act. He does have a personality disorder and his ability to experience human emotions is severely restricted. The most serious aspect of his personality is his sadistic fantasy life which revolves around children, their torture and mutilation. He has no motivation to curb or control the deviant sexual fantasies. I would be pessimistic about his ability to respond to any form of treatment. Mr. Percy is not suitable for transfer to hospital even though he was found not guilty by reason of insanity." End quote. So it's almost as if psychiatrists saw him as a lost cause that no medication or treatment could fix. Percy was 17 years old when Christine and Marianne were killed at Wanda Beach. Could Percy have been the knife-wielding kid looking for sand crabs in the dunes? He did attack Yvonne Tui with a knife on the beach just four years later. Other than this, he had also assaulted two six-year-olds prior to the Wanda Beach murders. Percy is believed to have been involved in the deaths of at least eight children. And that includes Christine Sherrick and Marianne Schmidt. In 2007, some new evidence relating to Percy surfaced. That's right. When Percy was 57 years old, investigators found one of his storage units in South Melbourne. 
inside they discovered packets of razor blades that may have matched the wounds found on Christine and Marianne. More incriminating were the diary entries that discussed events which seemed to describe child abductions and murders that were still unsolved. But the most fascinating item found in the storage unit? A note with one word handwritten on it. Wanda. Was this referring to a woman or a place? A potential victim or a murder site. Could it have been a note to himself to target a young child or teenager at Wanda Beach? Or was it a memento for a crime already committed? While in prison, Percy was very quiet and kept to himself. In other words, he never gave up any information. Mr. Percy, have you harmed any other children? Possibly. I can't remember. That became his signature line. His prison file states, quote, He presents as cold and emotionless, meticulous and methodical. Getting any kind of information from Percy has been described as like pulling teeth. That's a man who knows how to hold on to his secrets. Sadly, most of his secrets went to the grave with him. Still incarcerated at the time, Percy died in St. Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne, July 23, 2013. We know that he was a child killer. The death of Yvonne Tui proves that. But was he a child serial killer? And did he murder Christine and Marianne in 1965? We've asked that question for Christopher Wilder as well. But there's another man we can't overlook. A third convicted murderer. A man so bold as to taunt a relentless detective with a particular and suggestive painting. Could this be where the secrets of Wanda Beach lie? On the canvas of a rapist and murderer. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now back to the story. Christopher Wilder and Derek Percy are both compelling suspects in the case of the Wanda Beach murders. Both were convicted murderers proven to be responsible for several heinous acts. Unfortunately, Wilder died before he went to prison, and Percy always remained tight-lipped about the amount of children that he potentially killed. But there is a third man that comes up in this case, a man that might have implicated himself in a very unusual way. Alan Raymond Bassett, how do you plead? I'd like to ask for a plea of manslaughter. The jury will deliberate. The jury has deliberated for 16 minutes. Have you come to a verdict? We have, Your Honor. Proceed. We find the defendant guilty of murder. In 1966, 21-year-old Alan Raymond Bassett was found guilty of the rape and murder of 20-year-old Carolyn Orphan. The evening of the crime, Bassett had met Orphan at a dance and offered her a ride home. He used this as an opportunity to attack. He was sentenced to life in prison. However, following the trial, Bassett underwent a psychiatric evaluation and was found to have schizophrenic tendencies. So, he was sent to Morissette Psychiatric Hospital in New South Wales. He was held in the unit for the criminally insane. Bassett killed Orphan in June of 1966, about a year and a half after the Wanda Beach murders. There were a cluster of murders, in fact, that authorities believed were in some way connected. 
besides Orphan and the Wanda Beach murders, there was the death of 57-year-old Wilhelmina Kruger, which we discussed in the first episode. While on a graveyard shift as a cleaning lady, she was struck in the head at the top of an escalator in the Piccadilly Arcade, a large movie theater and shopping center. She was stabbed several times and dragged down multiple flights of stairs. But there was also the death of a 27-year-old sex worker named Anna Dalinkoa. She was found a month after Kruger, stabbed and mutilated. Investigators for the different cases wondered if they could all be related. But it was one detective in particular assigned to the Wanda Beach case that suspected this more than his comrades. And he believed the answer lay with Alan Bassett. Detective Cecil Sess Johnson interviewed and stayed in contact with Bassett for several years after considering him a suspect in the Wanda Beach murders. Their relationship took an interesting turn in 1975. That was the year Bassett gave Johnson a painting that he had done in art therapy. It depicted a landscape. Johnson hung it up in his house. What's that? It's a painting, sweetheart. Well, I can see that, but what's it of? What do you see? I don't know. It's a little abstract. Looks like some grass and water. That's it? That could be a lake, and those look like trees. Who painted it? An associate. At the station? No. It's quite interesting, but it's no Van Gogh. I hope you didn't spend too much on it. I didn't spend anything on it. It was a gift. Oh! Well, we should have the artist over for dinner. Well, that might be a bit tough. Johnson became convinced that this was Bassett's way of admitting his guilt for the Wanda Beach murders, and perhaps those of Kruger and Dalinkoa. Johnson originally thought Bassett could have been responsible for the deaths of Christine and Marianne because he had killed a young woman not too long after their murders. Johnson became so entranced by this theory that he actually wrote a book about it. And spoke with a crime reporter named Bill Jenkins and convinced him of his theory. Strangely enough, Johnson never got his book published. Well, it wasn't laziness. Fate had other plans. Johnson later died in an accident, but there isn't much information available about the specifics of how this transpired. Jenkins, however, did actually write and publish a book of his own called As Crime Goes By. There's an entire chapter on the Wanda Beach murders. Jenkins discussed Johnson and Bassett and the painting, proposing it as a potentially viable theory. This did not sit well with Bassett, who was released in 1995 after serving 29 years in prison. He challenged Jenkins by threatening to take him to court, but that never happened. Jenkins died shortly after this. And it seemed that Bassett let it go. He even offered to give authorities a sample of his DNA to prove his innocence. But whether or not he has been cleared as a suspect remains confidential. Authorities were hopeful at one point that some DNA found in a blood smear from the crime scene might open up a new door for the case. In fact, DNA was taken from Derek Percy before his death. Nothing came of that either. The DNA sample from the crime scene in 1965 was highly degraded, which means it would be difficult to match anything against it. So even with the killer's DNA, scientists may still not get a match. The bottom line? DNA testing hasn't led to any breakthroughs. 
As we think about Bassett, the real question revolves around evidence. Was there any, circumstantial or otherwise, that would make him a strong suspect? Well, in my opinion, no. He was in fairly close proximity to the murder, and he actually committed murder later. But other than that, there's only Johnson's claims. And it's my assumption that Bassett may have been toying with Johnson. Meaning? Well, he knew that Johnson suspected him of the Wanda Beach murders, so maybe he fed into that. Maybe he played along. He was destined to many years in prison, so maybe this was a form of entertainment for him. And maybe the painting was all part of this fun, too. Yeah, maybe. And it's possible Bassett said some things that would lead Johnson to believe he was, in fact, the killer. Things no one else was privy to. So I think we can agree that while the Alan Bassett story is intriguing and could get our wheels spinning, there's not enough evidence to make him our top suspect. Correct. So let's look at Christopher Wilder, the beauty queen killer, as he was called by the media. Prolific serial killer, Sydney Bourne. But he mainly killed in the United States, not Australia. The main reason he was even considered a suspect in the Wanda Beach murders is because he had been convicted of a gang rape in Sydney in 1963, a rape that took place on a beach. Well, he was also said to have been nearby the location of the murder at the time. And then there's Derek Percy. For starters, he was very close, physically, to the murder site. Right. He was staying with his grandmother in Ride, Christine and Marianne's town, at the time of the murders. In fact, he was only a little over a mile away from where the girls lived. That's very interesting. Could he have seen them prior to the day they were murdered? Like in a nearby neighborhood or grocery store? Could he have seen them outside their school? Stalked them, even? Want to come over today? My grandma can make us a snack. Sure, but I better ask my mom first. Hey, see that guy behind us? Does he go to our school? I don't think so. No, look at his shirt. He's in the Navy. He's cute. Is he following us? The fact that he was living so close to the girls is a big red flag to me. This could mean that the murder wasn't opportunistic, but premeditated. We are, of course, hypothesizing at this point, but it's definitely possible he knew or had seen the girls prior to their death. We know that Percy killed Yvonne Tui. He used a knife in a sheath when he murdered her. The Wanda Beach murderer also carried a knife in a sheath. And we can't forget about the note that simply read, Wanda. There were other notes, too, that seemed to describe events from other unsolved homicide cases involving children. I'd find all of that pretty damning. And I just don't think that Bassett or Wilder have anything that comes close to that. In my opinion, Derek Percy is our murderer. I agree. Of the three suspects discussed, Derek Percy is the clear choice for me. Too bad we can't question him ourselves. Aside from the storage unit, Percy didn't leave much of a trail of possible evidence. While imprisoned, he kept to himself. He didn't engage with other prisoners or reveal much about himself to the psychiatrists on staff. He didn't admit to or brag about any crimes. And he didn't speak of the one he did commit. When asked if he had harmed any other children, he would always reply, quote, I may have, but I can't remember. So was Percy actually insane, or just the world's greatest actor? 
And did Christine and Marianne meet him that day in January? Or is there still someone out there? The mysterious, anonymous surfy boy, now all grown up. And if so, what has he done since the Wanda Beach murders? Or was it his only crime? One thing's for sure. The brutal slayings of Christine Sherrock and Marianne Schmidt became a warning to all going into the dunes of Wanda Beach. Be careful who you go with. Be aware of your surroundings. And know that if you scream, no one will hear you. The dunes are far from the water's edge, isolated and often windswept. One day they cover bodies. Another, they may reveal them. Maybe one day the identity of the murderer will come to light, no longer covered by the sands of time. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler and developed by Ron Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Paracast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Unsolved Murders is written by Jessica Mallow and stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Mike Capozzi, Jerry Courtney Austin, Nick Masu, Kenna McEnroe, Sarah Miller-Cruz, and Steve Pinto. <laughs> <laughs>